In this series, we hear stories about the role masculinity plays in today's world, as I try to become a better version of myself every day. Join me and let's discover this together. It always haunts me to say, how courageous are you raising issues that are unpopular when you're not quite sure how much antipathy that challenge will evoke among people and how much they can cope with it as well as you. Today's guest is Sir John Battle, who lives in West Leeds and was an MP there for 23 years before retiring in 2010. In this episode, we'll find out what happens when John is faced with a decision, resort to violence or take the high road. The story starts back in 1981. John was in his early 20s. It was six years before he became an MP. During a council meeting at the town hall, John took a stand for what he believed was right. At that time, there was a real problem in some areas of the inner city of Leeds with um, travellers with their caravans parking in places that were residential, you know, in the middle of flats and things. And sometimes there were rows with the local people. But what tended to happen was the council went in very hard to drive them off but without any provision for anywhere for them to go. And I remember raising this matter in the council and evoking a ferocious reaction. You know, why on earth is he taking the side of these people? They don't vote, they shouldn't be here. They should live normal lives and all the usual. There wasn't much sympathy for travelers and gypsy people at that time. And they were seen as outsiders. And there was a bit of racism around at that time. And I didn't quite realize what kind of a reaction it would evoke. There was a general discussion in the, in the group we were in about it. And there was pretty much, uh, why, why was I raising this matter? And I was a bit of an idiot to raise it at all. Couldn't I see the sense it wasn't good politics and uh, would only cause havoc in the city if it were ever to be that we suddenly started favoring travelers and gypsies. So it was quite a fraught moment. And I kept going saying, no, these people are human beings and their kids ought to be treated decently and we ought to be providing education. And I remember one person in the, in the council meeting there coming round uh, the side of the chairs and coming up to me in a really threatening manner. I thought he was going to give me, a, give me a belt saying, shut up and don't raise it. It was one of the leaders of the council at the time, and I was what they called at the time a, a young scruffy backbencher without much power. And that person had a power job within the council, and that person was a, it was a burly bloke and a lot older than me. It was heavily built. I was a bit of a skinny malink, and I thought, well, do I take my chances with? And well, I wasn't sure whether he was going to lay out or not, but he'd certainly come down to give me a strong telling off at the very least, you know. And I, it was a bit fearful. I was a bit afraid, and I thought I'd gone into dangerous waters here. He left his seat and come round the side, you know, down behind everybody else, because I was at one end of the room to him, and I just felt that, yeah, this is a person that's really overworked up about this, really. It was close enough to me to get, you know, arm's length away to give me a shove if he needed to. It really hit a raw nerve. And I just felt at that point this is evoking much stronger adverse reactions than I ever could imagine. Have I got it wrong? 
I felt quite threatened, really. You know, I thought, is this guy going to come and uh, are we going to have an open fight at the back of the, the council meeting? <laughs> and I kind of felt, well, um, we've gone beyond words here. And I thought that politics was about words and discussion and we could uh, at least uh, agree to differ. But there was none of that. And I thought, no, this has gone beyond that. And I thought, how do you how do you handle that kind of situation? Do I open into a fight? Do I try and hold my ground? And uh, I was in difficulties with it. What are the feelings and emotions going through your body at this stage? Oh, um, hey, I couldn't quite understand it. And I, I knew the person and thought more of the person than that. And so I was a bit shocked at the reaction. I, the, the experience I had was, uh, what do you do when you get to that edge of a situation? You know, how do you respond to it? You just back off and walk away. Because um, it's not something I was used to doing. And, you know, in, in a situation, I'd argue my corner. You know, I was an argumentative person. I got that from my dad. <laughs> he would argue with me. So I, I'd be used to having an argument, but not turn it into a fight. In the end, uh, no punch was thrown and the guy backed off and I shut up. That's how it ended. And I wondered whether I'd done the right thing. And did you did you think about punching him? I think I probably thought if he comes at me, I'm going for him as well. Yeah. I thought that I'll take my glasses off and have a go. <laughs> I always worry about in a fight from being a kid, if you get, if I get my glasses broken, I'm lost because I've only got one good eye and I don't want my glasses broken in my eyes. So I'm always really worried about my glasses. So I've never been a fighter, despite my name being Battle. I've tended to be a bit of a peacenik and would go for the compromise all the time rather than push the boat out and give someone a shove. I tend not to throw the per first punch, actually. What was the reaction from the, the other people in the room? It was a kind of a deathly silence. <laughs> there was a kind of a silent moment, you know, when to write, he shut up and sat down. And then we were silent for a few minutes. Then next item on the agenda, move on, as if nothing had happened, you know. And I kind of went, something has happened here. What's gone wrong? Should you raise these issues? And it always haunts me to say, how courageous are you raising issues that are unpopular? when you're not quite sure how much antipathy that challenge will evoke among people and how much they can cope with it as well as you. What was it about you that made you go, you know what, I'm the only person who's going to defend these travellers? And because I'd been with them, I'd been with the travellers, talked to them, listened to them, and I liked them. And I thought they were good people. And I learned things from them, like the fact that if they have a birthday, they give presents and cake to other people. They don't receive a cake. And I thought some beautiful moments in their culture that I really loved and thought was, I'm learning from them. These are great people. Don't rubbish them. So I was going to try and stand up for them, really. And a, a little bit of it's being used to defending the underdog in a way. Whenever else is against them, someone ought to speak out. And eventually... There was a traveller's site, and there is a traveller's site in Leeds that's properly supported by the local authority, but it was a struggle. So how did you how did you feel once you left that council room that day after what had happened? I think um, a sense of uh, failure, really, that uh, you know, I'd misread the situation badly. The people that you thought were on your side were not and didn't speak out, so you felt a little bit betrayed, really, and that you were out fighting the wrong cause. And then a kind of a doubt that you got it right. You know, you may be wrong. Maybe all the people in the neighbourhood had not really told me right that they were against them, you know, and I should really take their side because they were the voters and I was not on the side of the voters against the travellers, really. So I doubted. I had great doubts about whether it was the right thing to do. But in the longer term, as the thing worked through, it, the policy won through that there was more empathy. Mm. 
Did you walk away from the council meeting thinking, oh, I better be careful next time in, in other, you know, talking about other issues that someone doesn't come down and try and punch me? Yeah, I did. But I think I, I think the biggest thing was just pack it in and walk away. That was the biggest thing. Do something else. You know, you're wasting your life. But I think in a way that experience strengthened me and I'm grateful for it because there came occasions later in life, both in parliament and in, even in government and even in, you know, senior meetings as in, in government where it was important to speak out and to stand up for themes that you researched and believe were right, even if you paid a price. I'm thinking voting against them. I mean, uh, despite my name, Battle, I voted against every one. And the number of times, six, five or six times, you know, been told your life, your career in politics is over because you're not taking the, the party line, you know. And I, I think sometimes you have to, to ride that and stick to your principles, really. And I had a great man that encouraged me to do that, even though I voted against him. And he wrote me a note saying, stick to your principles, whatever you do, think it through. Uh, and that letter came from the great John Smith, who tragically died before his time to become the Labour leader. Did you question yourself as a man after this, this scenario in terms of having to deal with that kind of situation? Did you think you were equipped to deal with those kinds of situations more so in future if you've got strong opinions you can't bludgeon them onto people and batter your way through it doesn't work you know i'm telling you i'm telling you and i've been in meetings where people have turned up and i'm telling you i want what's what regardless of anybody else says you know that is right out of order but the other way is that reason and argument and facts don't always win either it isn't a world of reason and argument because there are emotions and feelings in there as well. And it's mixed up and people are very, very complicated, both as individuals and indeed collectively as a group. There's a lovely poem that I uh, love by a, an Irish poet called Patrick Kavanagh, an Irishman. And he had a poem um, called From Failure Up. And the first line was, can a man grow from the clod of failure, some consoling flower, something as humble as a dandelion or a daisy. And it's that bottom, small, simple moves that make the changes. And I've had to learn that lesson, but it can be painful. So were you a dandelion or a daisy that day? A uh, dandelion, <laughs> definitely a dandelion. And the reason is they change very quickly and they turn into clocks and get blown away. <laughs> As we're hearing stories, we're always thinking about how it relates to our life and what we would have done. You know, I'm thinking as I'm listening to your story, I'm thinking, what would I have done in that situation? Yes. Because you have a decision to make at that point. You know, people say, exactly. you know, you, you hear people say boxers or, or people who are street fighters or, or any sort of man on the street will say, if someone is coming towards you in an aggressive manner yeah. and they look yeah. like they're going to punch you, it's probably yeah. better to punch them before they punch you because you're yeah. acting in self-defense. Yeah, yeah. Because at that yeah. point, he's walking towards you. You don't know whether he's going to punch you or whether he's just going to try and intimidate you. So how do you, how do you hold yourself back from that? Wow. I think it's a massive question, that. And it's a question, you know, it, think of your own children. What do you encourage them to do if they're being bullied, for example? Do you tell them to go in first? Or, you know, I, I was the eldest of uh, eight children and uh, was a bit of the, the leader of the gang. And I can remember situations where our family gang was set against other family gangs. Do you know what I mean? And what do you do if someone hits your brother or sister? Do you go for them and pick them off? And there are, there are real questions about whether you take the initiative and go in hard or you encourage people, you know, uh, if I hit you, then you'll know what it feels like. So you'll be able to take it and go in again. You know, it was a question of whether you went in first or you withdrew. 
but I, I think in the in the whole uh, saying back to my glasses on I, I was really protective of my eyes and didn't want to get drawn in so i wasn't a fighter street fighter really i would tend to compromise mm. and pull back which probably explains my politics you could <laughs> do you think do you think people this was what 40 this is 41 years ago so it was 1981 yeah. now in 2022 do you think people do you think men back then were more likely to punch rather than reason I, I'm not sure more than now. I, I tell you what, I mean, I still go around the doors knocking on doors and uh, occasionally I would say quite a few men in their 30s to 50s, you meet, you know, if you're going around for politics knocking on the doors, and I still do, I still support the political party that I had the privilege of representing and the people that I represented. And I often say you go and you, you're knocking on a door cold and somebody will come out really aggressive towards you really abusive and and I, I i sometimes work training people to do the door knocking the canvassing as you call it and saying you know don't take it too seriously because the first reaction of quite a few men is to come out hard and really give it you and you've got to laugh it off and get beyond it and so i always joke that the first reaction is a kind of nervous violence you know is the first reaction they tell you to clear off in hard language and sometimes going around the pubs and clubs and things as i did as an mp you'd meet the hard word first but then if you if you rolled through it and put a bit of humour into it, people would say, hey, hang on, we don't need to go in so hard. Can we ease up a bit? And you can build a relationship. And I used to love doing that and enjoy doing that, really. Well, you hear about, you know, a lot of violent men or bullies or whatever, that they're just scared little boys in a man's body. When you say nervous violence, it made me think of that. Do you think that many times that they're coming at you kind of like this, it's not really, you know, yeah. Absolutely. And in a way, I'm proud of my glasses because people think if your glasses are skinny like I am, that you're not going to come. They, know, they, they really do believe they can take you on. And I find it harder if they're shielded in a car because I think the violence on the road and driving is worse. Mm. But in real life, if you're up against a person stood on their own, as it were, bare naked except for their clothes, that there is that fear. The, fears, the fear of other people is much stronger than the openness to. And it's that question of vulnerability. Can you accept your own vulnerability? And I think that's really important. And that's what I got from that little poem of Patrick Kavanagh. You know, and explore, uh, accepting your own vulnerability and not being ashamed or afraid to share your vulnerabilities is really crucial in helping other people to share theirs and say, actually, we're all vulnerable. Whatever walk of life we're in, whatever level of society we're in, there are real vulnerabilities. And there can be wounds that hurt but if we can share them, we'll get through it together and be able to be much more hopeful and positive. If I think back on my life of vulnerability, I think that's that's made me more of a man by actually revealing that vulnerability. And that's not it's not about extremes either. It's not, you know, crying every day about something or, you know, it's not constantly pouring your heart out to people. But when there's a balance with everything, isn't there? But being able to express that vulnerability as, you know, not not keeping things to yourself, I think it's really important. I think you've exemplified that really well, the way that you seem to have diffused confrontational situations over the years. Yeah. I think it's, you know, if you imagine life as a graph, you know, that goes up and down very rapidly, like a heart thing. And if it goes up and down too wild, or even the climate, if it's hot and cold very fast, and you want it to level out, and I think it's how do we level out our vulnerabilities rather than either pour it all out and then have a high, you know. And, and if we can share the leveling out, we can mm. get through life. A smile or a joke can change someone's life. So the small gestures are more important sometimes than the great statements and 
politics. Mm, I completely, completely agree. And uh, I think humor, a lot of English guys, British guys, they, there's, there's a big thing in, in our culture about self-deprecating humor as well. You know, we, yeah, we make jokes about ourselves, and, uh, but it's yeah. also revealing our vulnerability at the same time. Yeah. 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 I, I think that's the key though, being able to laugh at yourself and show that you are a bit of an idiot some of the time, I think helps because otherwise it's the, the humor's taking it out of someone else, you know, and turning that inside and say, well, I'm, a, I'm as stupid as you are really, you know, I think it helps. Mm. Your co- you come across in your, in all the, the roles in parliament, et cetera, and all the, all the work that you do, I'm sure you come across men from many different walks of life, you know, from, mm-hmm. from young, from young men, you know, teenagers, men in their twenties, thirties, up to, you know, all ages. What, what do you notice in terms of the vulnerability? Because when I, when I speak to young men, you know, teens or whatever, they, they, they're not in a lot of ways, the ones I've spoken to anyway, they're not necessarily always open to expressing how they feel. And I think about it from my own life that I didn't say things until I was 29 years old because it was, it was kind of this worry of if you say something that's considered stupid, that your friends are going to take the piss out of you. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I do some of the workshops with uh, young people to try and create some space for them to speak, for them to move in to be leaders. And I did this leadership training of people who'd gone to college, you know, high school, and um, we're doing the A-levels, whatever we call it now, GCSEs, and, and we're intelligent, bright people, you know, well au fait with the internet, uh, was, were working hard, and they came on a Zoom, and I was really shocked when they were asking me about leadership, because what came across to me was a massive lack of confidence in themselves. They didn't believe they could speak in public. You know, that they could stand up and speak in public. And one person was on saying, I, I, I can't speak very well because I, I haven't got a good personality. And they spoke for about five minutes about themselves. I said, well, that's the best English I've heard because you speak in sentences unlike me that stop and start. I completely understood it. Um, a, it was a moving thing that you said. I said, your speaking's brilliant, but you've no confidence that you can do it. And I think a lot of young people particularly actually lack a deep confidence in themselves. So we get a kind of faux confidence that's there. So, you know, I'm, I can do it, but 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 don't believe they can do it. And, and I think it's with instilled in people a real sense of... Uh, um, you know, failure in a way that they can't do things that they can, you know, that the, the world's too complex, it's too difficult, I can't make changes, I can't change myself, and I can't break through. Well, I would be wanting to build into people a real sense of hope that they can transform the world and themselves, they can do it. Mm. It's interesting you say about full confidence as well, and I, I see that in a lot of young young guys, you know, uh, they, they'll they like the big man and they'll have the bravado, but actually when it comes to a scenario where you might say, give a speech to 30, 40 people and they'll just be terrified. Of the, they'll melt. And I'm sure you've seen that yeah, a lot yeah, in, yeah. in the work that you do. Yeah. And well, again, and, and the key thing is for people like me to, if I said get out of the way, what I want to do is be in the wings. You know, you've got the stage, you've got the curtain, mm-hmm. you have to be just at the side of the curtain, push them out into the front and encourage them to get up and do it and just whisper at them while they're on stage, do it, breathe in twice and now say it and just encourage mm-hmm. them to. And once they've done it and broken through, they'll get there. And I think we have to encourage mm-hmm. more young people to take part, to join in, and to share their criticism and vision of the sort of society we've got so that it can yeah. be changed. And people like me, the older generation, yes, we have some experience and wisdom, but we have to listen to them and get out of the way. Mm. 
You really come across as someone that we need in society to to educate young boys, young men about what it means to be a man because you talk a lot about vulnerability, but it, there's a strength behind that. There's no there's no cowardice from what I'm mm. seeing, in, but there's a lot of this feeling of if you're a man and you're vulnerable, that means that you're a, you're you're a coward or yeah. you know yeah. that you you don't have the confidence or the yeah. self conviction to stand up for yourself. But you were standing up for yourself. You weren't doing it in a cowardly way. You were doing it in you know with coming from a place of strength, this vulnerability. And I think that's something that's missing in in young men nowadays. Maybe. Um, I won't overestimate it. Maybe I, when I look back and I've told that story, I've not done enough to support the traveller community since maybe. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, the, I'm not a saint in that respect. And, and there's other stories that others will tell around. But I, I think the key thing is to, um, in, in a way, it, it is about, principles and ethics isn't it morality really it's not about you know whether you worship money or fame but it's about whether you want to change the place to be a better place for people to live together and that's a really really hard job there's too much suffering in the world that we can't solve you know doctors and scientists are working their best to try and solve brain problems and damage to people because they don't understand everything about human beings to make them work right the hospitals are full of it yet there are situations in our communities that we could resolve if we got closer to each other and listened to each other a bit more so to nudge people to listen the final story there was um, a great row in the neighborhood when i was an mp about a ginnel that was going to be shut and the men wanted to keep it open to go to the pub but the women were a bit frightened of it because people coming marauding down into their gardens so they had a so okay we'll have a community meeting the back story is in the primary school they had a school council of 10 year olds that ran the school and i'd said to the i meet the school council of eight kids and one of the little girls there says i'm the secretary of the school council i said you're a secretary i said what a big word that is i said i work for the secretary of state i'm a minister and the secretary of state is my what does the secretary do and she said you listen carefully to what people say you write it down and then make sure something's done about it brilliant we have a meeting in a house about this ginnel on a saturday afternoon and this woman puts on tea and buns and all the neighbors come round. and this uh, there's the house is packed the front room and this bloke blazes in shouting his mouth off that effing ginnel's gonna stay up and i don't give a th- how many people are here i'm telling you it's staying up and i don't care about your bloody meetings all this and, and everyone was a bit shocked really because no one was in charge of the meeting and we just turned up but outside on a bike was this little girl so i saw through the window it was a sunny day and i went to the door I said can you come in a minute i said all these adults are struggling with this meeting and you told me you were a secretary do you remember what you said because i think you should run this meeting because you know what to do i said what's the secretary and she come out with it again you listen carefully to what people say you write it down and make sure something's done about it i said i think the adults need to learn from you how to organize their discussions to sort this problem out and the bloke walked out and i'm not having any of this i said i'm off <laughs> But it was quite a lesson, isn't well, it? Because he didn't want to listen he to a little want, girl. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And and you kind of thought, the kids have got it. The kids are getting there. So the hope for the future, give them some space. Last day, John, what do you do nowadays to help support young young men and men in general? I do a, a walking group with people in New Wortley. We have a, 
um, a men's walking group every Friday where we go for a walk and then share a meal. And we've had it going now for 11 years every Friday. And I do, and most Fridays I do. And we have a group of people that come out of the flats who live alone and have got all kinds of challenges and none. Um, as someone says, it doesn't matter whether you've been in Armley or Parliament. It doesn't matter. It's the same. <laughs> and so people come along. We walk along the canal and do urban walks. We share, compare notes a little bit. No one asks about who's from where. Um, that group of people are a brilliant group of people with fantastic um, experience and wisdom. Engineers, one guy can tell you the name of all the plants along the side of the road. Another guy has got an MA in literature and will quote Shakespeare as we go along. You know, brilliant people who've just been overlooked, underestimated massively, and then challenges in their life from all sorts of reasons. A strong theme that has emerged from Sir John's life is that he goes against his last name. He doesn't battle in the traditional sense of the word. He's voted against every war, despite the potential cost for his career. He's been the one to stand up for what he believes in. He's shown incredible grit and strength. This is something that I really respect in John. When I was a teenager, I had fights and punched people, not out of strength, but out of fear. I'd like to believe that if a situation like this happened in future, I'd be able to stand my ground and stop a potential violent situation from happening. It's a bravado thing for guys in many cases, where they think they'll get more respect from their friends and their partner if they fight. But I'm not so sure. I think if we have the right people in our lives with the right morals, they'd be far more impressed if we used our verbal abilities to defuse a situation. Hopefully the majority can see this moving forward. Thanks for listening to today's episode with Sir John Battle. If you'd like to learn more about the Our Voices podcast, please go to ourvoicespodcast.com. You can also follow us on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It would help me a lot to grow the show. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week for another great story.